Hello, it's Jared from Transform Your Teaching. Just wanted to say thank you for listening to our podcast. We have had an absolute blast putting it together for you. We hope you're enjoying it as much as we are. We have a survey that we'd like you to fill out for us to help us to improve because we want to serve you and hearing from you will help us improve the podcast to serve you better. Just follow the link in our description and in the show notes. It won't take you long to do and we really do value your feedback. So please fill it out for us. Thanks in advance and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Transform Your Teaching Podcast. The Transform Your Teaching Podcast is a service of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. We seek to inspire higher education faculty to adopt innovative teaching and learning practices. Thanks for joining our conversation. Welcome to the Transform Your Teaching Podcast here on the campus of Cedarville University. My name is Jared Piles, and with me is Dr. Robert McDowell. We both work at the Center for Teaching and Learning here on campus, and we thank you for uh, joining us today. If you think about it, make sure you like and subscribe to our podcast. Yes. We're thankful that we have so many great listeners. We're kind of like going outside of Ohio, which I'll be honest with you, I never expected that to happen. Neither did I. With us today is one of our esteemed faculty members, here on the campus of Cedarville University. He's been here, I think, 75 years. Is that uh, right? Closer to 80, yeah. 80 years, okay. Dr. Chris Miller is joining us today. Hello, Dr. Miller. Good afternoon. Nice to be with you guys. You're welcome. Yeah, good to see you. Uh, thank you for being willing to come on and talk a little innovative teaching practices. We wanted to have you on to discuss how you've been using media and technology uh, but first, before we get there, we ask everyone uh, this question. Um, tell us how you got to Cedarville and what you teach and your discipline. Uh, what I teach basically is um, English Bible from Old Testament to New Testament. Um, I often joke with my colleagues, since I end up teaching a lot of Old Testament, that anyone can teach New Testament, but it takes a great prof to do old, um, simply because I like both of them. But there are a lot more New Testament than there are Old, so I end up uh, teaching a lot of Old Testament. And it's been a delight to do that over the years. Uh, one of the favorite things about that is having students who have grown up in churches or gone to Christian school and feel like, oh, they've been there and done that with the Old Testament and know all the stories to to come and put it all together and to watch what happens over the course of the semester when they realize what they've been missing, that just the basic stories about how to be a better person are not at all what the Old Testament is about. <clears throat> and so to try to re- reveal who the God of the Old Testament is, it's a it's a fascinating, fun study, and it's probably why I persist. Now, I was joking earlier, but really, how long, how many years have you been teaching Old Testament? I've uh, been teaching Old Testament the 42 years. I've uh, been doing it 32 here at Cedarville. The first 10 years of my teaching career were at a little Bible institute in upstate New York called Word of Life, and I thoroughly enjoyed uh, that that spot to teach. It was delightful because there were just a few of us on staff, and we would we were able to teach nearly every subject theologically and book of the Bible that we wanted to, and it was great. But I also felt the the drive to teach at a broader liberal arts college, Christian college, and so coming to Cedarville 
and having colleagues in physics and nursing and education and English was just so stimulating and so wonderfully integrative that that was a big attraction, and I'm glad I'm here to enjoyed that um, immensely. Having colleagues who were experts in fields other than mine was a, a huge boon to my own intellectual development and learning about Christ and his world, and um, it's just been a very interesting environment. So with that in mind, let me ask you, um, what is your overall philosophy about teaching the students your content? Good question. I think my overall philosophy depends upon the level at which I'm teaching, uh, because in the earlier classes, the freshman and sophomore classes, um, they don't need to be taught as much about how to think as much as they need a good baseline of information from which to think. So those earlier classes are more laying down a foundation of here's what the Bible story is, here's what the books of the Bible are all about, and this is the basis for how we begin to think about life uh, afterwards. For an upper-level class, a theology class, or a Bible majors class, that's when we get more interested in in uh, probing their little minds and teaching them how to think and how to derive research and, and to think through critically for themselves what is the Bible saying and how can we be sure of this um, so that they become self-starters and self-learners at that point. How have you noticed students changing in how they learn as you've been teaching? Have you noticed a generational shift? Have you noticed that at all, or is it pretty much the same as it has been? Yeah, I think there's a generational shift. I mean, I think the Internet has had so many unforeseen consequences. <clears throat> An awful lot of us now, even even those of us out of school, how do we learn? Well, when I need to learn how to fix the dishwasher, I go to YouTube and watch somebody who's already done it. There's a point of interest or point of need, and since information is so easily available, I can I can afford to do that at a point of need. It's not as it used to be before that was available that we had to learn everything at first because, you know, you just couldn't find that when you needed it. I think there's that. I think I've also seen a little bit of an effect of COVID. Students are just a little uh, more reticent to to dive in and to, to work hard. I'm not sure why that is, but it seems as though there's been a, a certain stunted nature to some of the classes that I hope we overcome in time. <clears throat> but right now, still coming out of COVID, I think there's a, a little, um, just a hangover from some of that that hasn't quite been shaken off yet, I don't think. So so when you say stunted, what exactly are you referring to? Like, what are you seeing? I'm, I'm seeing students that <clears throat> tend to be a little more uh, spoon-fed, or if I give them a challenge, they're not quite as much up to the challenge. If I say, go research this or go figure out the answer to this question on your own, they kind of look at me like a deer in the headlights with, I don't know, I don't know how to do that. How am I supposed to do this? Show me how to do this. And I, I, I want to say, this is part of the process. You need to learn to figure out how to teach yourself these answers. And they don't seem quite as ready to go research as maybe we had in the past. I don't know if that's valid or universal or just my observation. I think there's going to be a general malaise over education for a while for from students and instructors mm-hmm. as a result of COVID. Mm-hmm. It's almost going to be a – it'll be one of those generational divides, I think, between – we talk about how, you know, there's the Gen Xs and Gen Ys, and there's always that generational shift because of a, some sort of event. And mm-hmm. I think COVID was one of those events that's now going to create a whole new 
generation of students, like you said, that have a either they are going to be but not behind, but they're going to be not as advanced as those but the generation before them at this point mm-hmm. because of that year and a half that they had of just trying to cope as their educators themselves are trying to cope and figure out what was going on so and how to adapt and all that other stuff. Yeah, so. that's, yeah. that's really my observation. We yeah. could probably go on this topic for quite a while because I've definitely <laughs> seen those things as well. My wife has seen it in the K-12. through There's just a lack of motivation mm-hmm. as a whole mm-hmm. to do anything that's remotely – Hard. <laughs> That's well said. <laughs> I think you're exactly right. It just it just feels like we're not really well ready to put in the effort. Mm. And I want to try, try try to motivate myself, my students, especially my majors, and say if this is how you're going to do ministry, if this is how you're going to live, this is going to be your vocation. Don't you want to be really really good at it? Mm. And don't you want to learn the tools and invest and get your axe sharp now? And Again, I don't always see people rising to that challenge. Yeah, which makes me wonder. It seems that it's a different question. It's they're there, but not there at Mm -hmm. the same time. Like they don't even really, they probably even question why in the world am I doing this in Mm -hmm. the first place? Mm -hmm. There seems to be like a lack of it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Which begs the question, is it the student or is it the way in which we're teaching and the methods that we're using. I don't know. So. I honestly don't know. I usually have an opinion one way or the other, but I don't think, don't because it's across the board, mm-hmm. it's hard to find someone that you can say, oh, they're doing something different because they're not having the same experience as everyone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I would say it's across the board because I wouldn't, I mean, we even saw that from Dr. Hutchison. You know, mm-hmm. he, he even had comments about that. Both of these men are seasoned educators. And they're both running into the same issues. Mm-hmm. And they both probably, you know, change and shift to try to solve those problems. But at the end of the day, they're not picking up, you know, they're not picking up their own acts of education, mm-hmm. so to speak, and starting to chop the wood. Mm-hmm. Faculty and teachers want to adapt. I know they do. I think you have students that are probably also looking at themselves and going, I know I should care, but I don't. Why don't I care? Mm-hmm. One way you can adapt to uh, helping students in their courses is by bringing in media or technology. We want to bring Dr. Miller in to talk mm-hmm. about how he has used that. So give us kind of an overview of the media that you use and the technology that shows up in your OT class and your other classes as well. Um, I've always been interested in uh, media and technology and trying to, you know, ride on the bleeding edge there, as we call it. Um Today, I don't know that uh, what I'm doing is all that unusual. Probably 20 years ago it may have been, but, um, you know, PowerPoint has sort of come of age. Um, There are good ways and obviously very poor ways to use PowerPoint, but I hope that we're using it in effective ways that visualize for our visual learners, reinforce uh, ideas, Um, you know, sometimes some uh, music at the beginning of class that will fit the theme, um, I don't know that it's particularly innovative today, but those are the the mainstays of the kind of media that we've used. Using these for outside tools, you know, recording class lectures and that sort of thing are helpful as well. But um, yeah, that's probably the extent of it. How have you seen PowerPoint make an impact on your students? Like, what did you did you see a before and an after 
of bringing in PowerPoint and the effect that it had on student learning and improvement? I, I think so. Um, there has always been a focus on uh, allowing some visual form for the students to see. So back in the day when we used to have the light proje- overhead projectors mm-hmm. and the little transparency roll yep. up that yep. would move, we thought that was pretty high tech mm-hmm. and, the, and, the, and the pencil, you know, any kind of thing to, <clears throat> to visualize or to, to gather attention was, was helpful. Um, but certainly as much as the benefit that the students saw, I saw the benefit that it helped me give an advanced organizer um, to either the whole class lecture or to a, a thing, a, a particular topic I was talking about. So it certainly helped me to organize my thoughts more clearly and efficiently, and surely that helped students as well. But it wasn't a direct benefit to them, sort of indirect, because using the visuals and creating the visuals caused me to clarify my ideas. So then they came across clearer as well. Mm. Mm. So not only is it creating um, clear communication for between you and the student, but it's also helping you make sure you're organized and, and stay on top of what the content is you're teaching and everything else. Yeah. One of, one of the most, one of the first teaching principles, probably the most important teaching principle I ever learned by experience was it's very difficult to explain a concept you don't understand yourself. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That is groundbreaking. When I, I mean, seriously, it was for me. When I would come to the end of a lecture and think, why did that not go very well? And I realized, you know, I just didn't fully understand it very well myself. And so um, that's, again, part of the what PowerPoint would do for me. It was, again, that it was like a lesson plan on the screen that allowed me to organize things and, and to understand them myself. You make your PowerPoints available to students? Absolutely. My PowerPoint's available to students and the the broader public. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyone can find them. Then. Yeah, exactly. But I remember, um, so this is back when I was a student, um, I've already once asked for forgiveness for not taking OT with you. I will let me do it again. <laughs> um, but my then girlfriend, now wife took mm. OT with Miller. And um, I remember she would have the notes printed out like the PowerPoints, I can't remember. Help me remember. It was it. Was that the student led, or was that something they purchased from the bookstore that they could have like a packet of all the notes? Yeah, back in the day, I think it would sold through the bookstore. Now, of course, it's just available on our on our Google Drive, <laughs> and they are abbreviated notes that help the students know where they were, and then also gave them a lot of space to write in their own notes, thinking that if they were actively engaged in writing. It would help them remember and process. It also makes it accessible to them too, mm-hmm. out, inside and outside of class. Right. Much like your lecture recordings. That's right. Talk oh. about those a little bit. Uh, are you talking about the ones that you did or the ones that oh, no. I did? Oh, no, 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 no. The ones that pretend I don't exist. Oh, okay. A lot of people do. So okay. let's just All keep right. it going. <laughs> well, <clears throat> there, there has always been, with a large class, there's always been problems with students who couldn't be there or who were either sick or away with sports or athletics or, or, you know, the speech team. So 20 years ago, before video, I started recording MP3 files of the lecture. Hmm. Those were pretty helpful for students who couldn't be there and had to make up the class. But even more importantly then, when we got screen recordings, we could put the voice together with what the PowerPoints were and it turned out to be the best of both worlds for those students who couldn't be there. So I've done that for, um, I don't know, the last 15 years mm-hmm. probably. 
Um, and in one sense, I say, I tell them, my students, I'm very upfront about it. When I show that, when I have these things available to you, I'm making it easy for you not to come to class. Mm-hmm. Um, and so am I disincentivizing you to come to class? Well, perhaps, but I think you will learn much more if you do come to class. But if you can't be there, then this is a really good option for you to learn. Have you noticed students still coming to class, even with that I've noticed, that caveat thrown up there? I've noticed a few students still coming to class. In fact, mm-hmm. you know, I do I do take attendance just for fun. Um, and as it turns out, I, I think we still run about a 90% attendance rate. Why do you think that is? Um, I, I hope it's because, and this is going to sound self-serving, but I just, I hope it's because they can see I put my heart and soul into it. And I love the topic and I hope they will too. And I, I think a lot of people catch that. So it's instructor enthusiasm that really makes a difference. I, I think often it is. Isn't it true? I mean, mm-hmm. when all of us have fallen in love with the subject in a classroom, it's usually because there's this unmitigated, un, you know, inescapable love that somebody else has for it. Have you noticed anything? Like you said you started video lectures, we said 15 years ago? Mm, yeah, probably. Like the, the screen captures. Screen grabs, mm-hmm. screen captures. Yeah. Have you noticed anything improving student learning from those. Have you noticed like, I'm, you probably didn't follow the assessment data, but have you noticed anything as a result of having those available? You know what? I, I, I don't, I wish I had some really hard research on that, but you know, when you, you never know where things are going to go to. And so you don't realize, wow, we've got a huge difference in the technology or the pedagogy we've used over the last 20 years. Looking back in hindsight, sure it would be nice to have tracked that, but we never did track it. Hmm. We just depended on anecdotal response that it was there for students if they wanted to. And, um, you know, so many of the students say, this is the best way for me to study. I go and I watch those things eight hours the night before. And I've, I've had students who've done that. And one kid came in one morning just before the test and said, can I give you a hug? <laughs> I said, why? He said, well, I just listened to you talk for eight hours and I feel like we're best friends. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> he was He was joking a little bit. But you know the the sense was there that you just you just get again immersed in the emotion and the feeling because you can hear it and see it and 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 feel it and I think helps helps the um, the ideas and the concepts soak into your soul. Mm. That was Dr. Chris Miller joining us on the Transform Your Teaching podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe us on your various podcast platforms. If you have any questions or anything, send us an email at ctlpodcast at cedarville.edu. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Transform Your Teaching Podcast. Please subscribe or follow us on your preferred podcast platform. For more information, you can email us at ctlpodcast at cedarville.edu. Please consider subscribing to our blog, Focus, found at cedarville.edu forward slash focus blog.